Good morning. Welcome to the Communitas Church Sunday morning service. A uh, couple of announcements. One, we will be doing communion this week as we do communion every week. So feel free to grab uh, some juice and some sort of cracker or bread uh, that we'll be, we'll be using to celebrate that later on in the service. And then also this week as we continue our prayer out of 2020 into 2021, uh, be considering um, as, we, as we think about Thanksgiving, what are the things for which you are thankful and then let's be thinking about this is a time general of general hospitality, and it will look different this year. It will be palpably different. And so what does it look like? And then also considering uh, the various uh, restaurants and, and, the, and the hospitality industry generally that uh, in, in this season, be praying for those workers as they, as they struggle to try to figure out what it looks like to provide hospitality for people in this season. So without further ado, I will pray and uh, Kelly will lead us in some music and we will continue with our service. Thanks for joining us this Sunday. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your goodness and we thank you for for the snow. Uh, It reminds us of your purity and your goodness. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to work in and through us, that we would exemplify this goodness to the world around us. Amen. Can everybody hear me? Just let us know in the comments if you can't hear, if it sounds okay. Um, uh, it's been a long, difficult week, at least for my family. I don't know if anybody else can relate to that. Um, but I thought um, there could be no better way for us to open our time together this morning than just praying through the Lord's Prayer together as a church. Um, So I'm going to read a more modern version of this prayer to you. You can find it in the Gospels of Matthew and also Luke. Um, And then we will pray through the prayer together. And I'm just going to pause after some of these lines and give you guys some time to um, add your own prayers on your own at home. On your own at home. Excuse me. All right. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, let your name remain holy. Bring about your kingdom. Manifest your will here on earth as it is manifest in heaven. Give us each day that day's bread and no more, no less. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who owe us something. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But let your kingdom be and let it be powerful and glorious forever. Amen. So now would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Good morning. My name is Mike Gary. I am the pastor here at Communitas Church. Thank you for being with us online this morning. At Communitas, we exist to love God and to love people and build disciples that walk in grace, that grow in faith. And we do this by gathering in groups and exploring the way that the Lord has gifted us and then using those gifts to generously serve in and around the Brainerd Lakes area. It's five G's if you want to remember that. And uh, as we enter into this rhythm of gathering together, growing together, and going together, that Jesus would be known 
and that disciples would be made. Uh, this is the part of our service where we do communion together. And, and uh, in this time of, of, um, of different social interaction, communion is, is a practice that can root us and ground us as believers, as this is something that the church has participated in since its inception. And this is to remind us of, of who we are as believers, that this is something uh, both that we, we affirm uh, and, and remind ourselves that we are all in as believers, that we are, are committed to Christ and that we are do this together. So it serves both an individual and a communal identity purpose. And so if you uh, missed the first part of the service, we do communion every single week. So feel free, if you have not, to go ahead and grab uh, some juice and some type of bread. And uh, we, will, we will be all partaking of this together. And Kelly's going to play a few, uh, a few notes. And we're going to take a few moments in reflection um, as w- just as a way of preparing our hearts for, for communion for the rest of the service and, and throughout the rest of the week. And we're going to take some time to think about... Um, you know, who is God the Father and what has he done? Who is God the Son and how did Jesus live his life and how does that inform the way that I live mine and the way that we as communitas live ours? And then who is God the Holy Spirit and what is God the Holy Spirit doing in and through us? Uh, we, and we hope that he would convict us of our sin, confirm in us the things that we're doing that are good, that we would continue to do those, and also that uh, we would have specific names and faces and times and places where the Lord is, is calling us to, to exemplify the kingdom, to, to see it, to, to live it out. And uh, so we're going to take some time to, to pray about that, to consider these things, and then I'll come back up. I'll read some words from Scripture, and then we'll all partake of the meal together. So wherever you are, know that you are participating with people uh, around, from around the area who are part of Communitas Church, and you are also taking part in the church global as we do this this morning. So, Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for your created world, all that is seen and unseen. Jesus, we thank you for the way that you lived your life. We pray, Lord, that we would become more like you, that we would be 100% sold out in our love and our affection for the Father and our service for the kingdom. So, Holy Spirit, would you continue to move in and through us, convict us of our sin, confirm in us in the, th- the, the things that we're doing that are good. And, Lord, call to mind specific people that you're calling us to serve and to convey your love. knowing that that body would break, that his blood would pour out, that he would be betrayed by those who said they would never, ever leave him. Jesus took the cup, and when he'd given thanks, said to them, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we thank you for this covenant. We thank you that despite our betrayal, despite our disobedience, that your grace abounds all the more. Lord, we thank you that the gospel is never out of season. We thank you that it is always favorable. That the gospel always breaks through. And so we, we pray that we would be willing, that we would be obedient, that we would follow, that we would know that we would love you. Amen. All right. Well, kids, I miss seeing your faces. This is usually the time when you get to scurry out that way. So we look forward to the next time we see you 
face to face. But until then, let's read God's Word. We'll be uh, continuing our, our walk through. We went from Torah from, uh, from January until just a few weeks ago, and then we looked at uh, the rest of the casket empty, or the casket part of the casket empty Bible storyline memory aid. And so we, went, we looked at the period of kings and continuing to follow that example of learning to be somebody. And then, and then last week, Chris talked to us about the period of exile, where we learn to be nobody, where we're humbled. Now this week, we'll be looking at the period of temple. And, uh, and so I'll, I, will let, I will not steal Chris's thunder, and, and uh, I will let him do that. But we will ground this in the Word of God. And so we'll be reading out of uh, Ezra and... Um, Haggai and Zechariah. So the first reading will be out of Ezra chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 1 through 8, and uh, it's on 389 in my Bible. Um, It's kind of in the middle after Chronicles before you get to Job. It's one of the smaller ones there. So um, so this is Ezra chapter 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the, Lord, of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him with a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem." Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred up to go and rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver and gold, with goods, with beasts, with costly wares besides all that was freely offered. Cyrus, the king, also brought out of the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of the gods. Cyrus, king of Persia, brought these out in charge of Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. Flipping over to Zechariah next. Chapter 2. Verses 1 through 11. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what its width and what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, run. Say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord. And I will be the glory in her midst. Up, up, 
Flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have spread abroad to the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, for he touches for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I dwell in your midst, declares the Lord, and many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people and I will dwell in their midst. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And then flipping back over a few pages to Haggai. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and, the, and, and to Joshua, the son of Zehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Zehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while. I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, wish we could all meet in person today, but uh, it's great um, to be able to meet uh, in this manner also. Um, as I was leaving um, the house today, um, David, my youngest, looks at me and says, Daddy, you going to be Pastor Mike? And uh, I looked at him and I said, well, kind of. You know, and so, Mike, I'm sorry for that's the comparison of, of what you have, so I apologize for that. But uh, um, being a dad is great. I've, I've, uh, I've been a dad now for over 15 years. Mike is my oldest. Um, when he was born, he was a great baby. Easy. No, he slept. He did all the stuff that good babies do. I thought, this parenting thing's pretty easy. And then along came his little brother 22 months later, Caleb. And things changed a little bit. He was... Uh, he was pretty cranky, had a lot of, uh, a lot of colicky, pretty crying. Um, I'm thinking this parenting thing is not as easy as I thought it was. So in, in my wife's, uh, you know, using her motherly intuition, she thought that there's just something wrong here. And so she did some working with specialists, and it turns out that Caleb has a, has a congenital disease called osteogenesis imperfecta. It's a lot of words for uh, brittle bone disease. 
And I never thought it was too serious. I thought, oh, he's going to break bones. That's going to be a bummer, but, you know, we'll get through that. It's not the end of the world. In 2014, he had a huge accident, and it almost killed him. And uh, we were spent seven days down in the ICU unit down at Children's in Minneapolis, and, and I was upset. I was upset with God. I could not understand why he would have given this to my son, why my son would have this, um, this disease, this disorder that was so, so dangerous to him. He's just a kid, you know. Um, but I began to realize over the years that God had a plan for Caleb, and God was going to use his disease that he has to be able to talk with people because this gives him an opportunity to talk to people who he understands what it's like to have that. Um, and so through all of this, I've been learning that God has a plan for Caleb, and it's um, frankly exciting to see what that looks like. As we go through, um, as we start heading into the temple part of this uh, of, of today, um, Israel's going through a similar process. Um, they, have, they, have, they started out in Egypt being a nobody, and, uh, and then God over time, um, you know, walk them, walk them through, and they and they and they go into the land of Canaan, and under the, under the leadership of of Joshua, and then into King David. They're they're a somebody. They're important people in this in this part of the country, or in this part of the world. And uh, and then uh, the exile comes, and uh, they are are forced to to be taken into exile. Um, it's interesting now. Um, they now, now that now that they're they brought into exile, um, they're being allowed to return back. Um, they can they, they're allowed to go back and to rebuild the temple and the walls. Um, they want to follow God's law, but yet uh, they simply cannot do it. I often wonder how it would have felt when you were in uh, in, in the kingdom at that point when you're in a, when you're in Babylon and then having King um, King Cyrus come in and and, and Persia takes over um, and and takes over Babylon. I wonder. When Cyrus said that they could go back to, to, to Jerusalem to rebuild, I kind of wonder what they would have thought that would have been like. Is, is this some sort of a setup? I mean, why is this king who are under his control, is this like we're going to leave and then they're going to accuse us of, of treason, of leaving, and, and use that as a reason to maybe kill us? You know, what was the plan? Why were they allowed to return? What, I, there's, I'm guessing there was probably um, a, lot of, a lot of questions through that. Um, Israel, through its uh, existence, has struggled submitting to God um, and, and I think they have always struggled to admit that they are a nobody, um, but they're going to learn to discover that they are somebody through the Lord as their identity. So if we were to look at just real quick at, at the narrative of what's going on, the actual story, um, they have been into exile through Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. And then uh, Persia comes through in 539 B.C., or 538, and, and uh, overtakes uh, Babylon. And so now Persia is the, the country in control. And then Cyrus, a year later, lets the Israelites go back to Jerusalem around 538 B.C. Now remember, the, the northern kingdom, they were never allowed to go back. So this is just the folks that were from Judah. So at that time, Zerubbabel, who was from the line of David, and Joshua, not the Joshua that led them into Canaan, but this Joshua is the high, was one of the, is the high priest, they get to go back and begin the temple reconstruction. There is opposition, and the construction stops. Uh, around 520 B.C., prophet Haggai and Zechariah encourage the people to continue building, and the, and the temple is completed around 516 B.C. The prophets announce that God's presence will fill God's house, and Jerusalem will be a blessing to all the nations, yet there is no sign of God's presence, and restoration of the people is far from reality. In King Artaxerxes in 458 um, allows Ezra to go back with other exiles to return 
to return to Jerusalem. At that point, Ezra brings out the law, and the people begin to um, repent from their sins. They want to obey the laws. And in uh, 445 B.C., Nehemiah gets permission to go over and to work on the walls. One of the big things uh, when Nehemiah gets to go over is that the people actually make a, a covenant. They make a binding covenant saying that we will follow the ways of the Lord. And, uh, and, and they begin to build the walls, and that gets done in a miracle time of, of 56 days. Nehemiah then gets to go, has to go back. He wasn't allowed to stay um, in Jerusalem for good. Uh, but he does come back years later. And unfortunately, the people are no longer following the law. They have again fallen away. The religious reforms of Ezra and Nehemiah had no lasting effect. People are excited, though, about the temple. The temple has been built. If you go and you read in Ezra 6, the people dedicate the temple to the Lord. But there is no comment about the Lord entering into the temple, like when Solomon built it in 2 Chronicles 7, 1-3, where it says that the glory of the Lord filled the temple to such a point that the priests could not enter. The question is, why is this? What is the difference? The difference is that Israel has forgotten the Lord of the temple and be more concerned with the temple of the Lord. And that would per, this will be the theme of what I'm going to cover today um, as we talk about this, this uh, time of the temple. They were more concerned about this physical structure than the God that was there. Uh, they were even more concerned about how the temple looked. They weren't as concerned about God's glory. Even when that temple foundation was set, many of the people cried, remembering the former temple. But there was no mention of the God who inhabited the temple and and missing that piece of God dwelling with them in that temple. So if we look at Nehemiah, we get into chapter 13. Uh, he, Nehemiah clearly explains what uh, the people have been doing wrong in the eyes of the Lord. And first is that they desecrated the temple. They have allowed Gentiles to use the temple as living quarters. So there are sacred rooms within the temple, and there were folks that were actually opposing the building of the walls. And now these people have been allowed to go in and inhabit the temple um, the, the holy temple as living quarters. The people have neglected the temple to the point that the Levites, the priests, they have no um, way to, to take care of themselves. And so they are going out into the fields so they could provide for their families. This is important because God put the Levites in place to help the Israelites understand how to follow the law. Without the priests there, there's nobody to guide the people in following the law. The people profane the Sabbath. They um, are, again, working and doing business on the Sabbath. If you remember back to when they were um, in the process before exile, that was one of the things that was pointed out was that they were profane the Sabbath. That's an important thing to the Lord is to protect the Sabbath and to honor that. And again, the priests and the men were marrying foreign women. That was another warning that they had was to not marry um, neighboring countries like the Philistines, Amorites, and the Moabites. Do not intermarry with them, and they did. Um, so Nehemiah and Ezra, as they go back and they're, and they're um, talking to the people, the people confess their sins and they agree to a binding agreement to follow the law in, uh, in Nehemiah chapters 9 and 10, only to find out in Nehemiah 13, not that much longer, that the people had again decided not to follow the law. As we go further into um, our discussion today, you, you can go look in the um, chat section on Facebook and um, there's going to be a listing of some of the passages that we're going to go through today. I'm going to read some. Some I'm just going to refer to, but um, that way at least you'll have them for reference for, um, for future use, or use today if you want to look up the passage. As I look at this passage, there are a few things that I found really interesting that kind of hit me. One, the first point was that uh, God can use anyone to further his kingdom. When Babylon took Israel into exile, 
they completely destroyed Jerusalem. The temple, the walls, devastated. There was nothing there. They even took all the pieces from the, you know, from the temple, the gold and, and all the, the precious things that were there. That all was taken back uh, to Babylon. But if you go back prior to that, Isaiah 45, he prophesied that Cyrus will rebuild the temple, that he would do it for free. He would receive no payment. And he actually returned many items from the temple that Babylon had taken during the exile. So when he let the people go back, the parts, the piece of the temple went back also. But I just found it really interesting that not only did the Lord prophesy that the people would go back and that the temple would be rebuilt, but even had the name, the name of the king. I would have thought maybe you would have said a, a king would do it, but it was not. It was, it was actually Cyrus. Um, God can use anyone to further his plans. This has been the roughest year I can ever remember from a political standpoint in our country. There's a lot of division, a lack of unity. I'm not going to get into politics. I'm not going to get into who, who should win, who should lose, who you should support, who you, sh- who you shouldn't support. But for me personally, this has been something that's been um, an issue for me the last few years. I've put a lot of weight into politics. I've been on Facebook, and I've been a keyboard warrior convincing people, oh, vote for this person, don't vote for that person. Um, and as I read this passage, it was so reassuring to me to know um, God has the ability to use anyone he wants to further his kingdom. It doesn't matter who's in office. It doesn't matter if this person wins this, this person wins that. Uh, you know, God is in control. And I had to remind myself that who's in control? God. It's not me. I'm not the one in control. And this you know, plays out from the federal government all the way down to what happens locally within our cities and our counties at our school boards and that. Um, so I would, I, w- I would take encouragement to know that if God can use a foreign king like Cyrus to allow the Israelites to go back and to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the walls, and to allow them to go back, and not only that, but to allow them to to, 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 to get the gold to go back, the pieces from the temple that were stolen, even the wood to help build that was all taken from, from, uh, from the king. If, if God can do that with, 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 uh, in that situation, God can also work within our, within our political scheme. So be encouraged and know that God, um, God is in control. God knows what's going on. Um, the second point I wanted to make uh, today is just the, the idea people have forgot the Lord of the temple, and instead they're focused on the temple of the Lord. They have forgotten the God who delivered them from Egypt. They have forgotten the God who took care of them as they went through the desert, provided the manna, provided the quail. Uh, as they went into Canaan and, and, and took the land that God had promised to Abraham, all the miracles, the, the rising up of King David, the, the idea of, of Israel being a, 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 an important country in the area, miracle after miracle after miracle. Yet what do the people focus on? They're worried about the temple, but they're not worried about the Lord who inhabits that temple. Now, was the temple bad? Okay, so we should take a, ask that question. Was the temple bad? The temple in itself was not the problem. Uh, what happened was that the people began to focus on that temple, and they began to realize, or began to take their, their, their eyes off of the Lord. 
in a way, you could say almost that temple became an idol for the, for the Israelites. It became more important to them than the actual, the, to the actual Lord of, of, of the heavens, of the host, the Lord of creation, who was there to take care of them and to guide them into, and with the law. God is not relegated to a building, and I think that was a big message um, that he was trying to make to them at that point. He has a plan that is so much bigger than that. So if we read, if, so at this point I'm going to turn into Second Chronicles uh, chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. And this is when Solomon dedicates the temple. And uh, after, this is the first temple uh, when Solomon created it. And I'll start reading with verse 1. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. Now, when you go into Ezra, which we're not, I won't read today, but when you go into when they dedicate the, the second temple, there's no note of, of this type of imagery of God entering into the temple, of, of entering into that with them. The truth is, is that uh, the people are going to have to wait a significant amount of time for that to happen. If we read Acts chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, this is when um, the, uh, the disciples are, up in, are, in, are in the upper room at, with, on the day of Pentecost. And uh, in chapter 2, verse 2 says, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now as I read through that chapter, or through that, 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 that piece of Scripture, that really brings up the imagery of what happened in Second Chronicles 7, 1-3. through 3. So God is no longer dwelling within this temple building that, that the people have created. God is now dwelling with his people. The people are the temples. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and, and that is when they become uh, the, the, the temples for the Lord. If we look at, sec, at 1 Corinthians real quick, I know I'm jumping around. It is in the, in the comment section, so feel free to, to look that up. But if we look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 16, it says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? You know, this has been something I think that I struggled with my, li- my entire life. As I mentioned to you last week, I've always been the kind of person who feels like I could take care of my own stuff and, and I didn't really need a lot of help and I always kind of, you know, set, you know, set the Lord off to the side and if I needed him, I would, I would, I would uh, um, you know, I would maybe approach him or pray to him or talk to him, but it wasn't the, the focus. And the last few months, um, the Lord has been really poking into my life and really talking to, you know, touching my heart and, and showing me my weaknesses, showing me my sinful nature, showing how, how what a wretched person I am, to be honest. And as I read through this, this piece of Scripture, it's really important to remember that um, it's not a building that we have to go to to find the Lord. We don't have to go find a person to go to the Lord. There's, there's not a person that's going to be the, the mediator between us and the Lord. 
the, Jesus has taken care of that. I don't have to go look. I don't have to find God. Um, he's right here. He's, he's, he's waiting. He's there for everybody waiting. God left the temple to be with his people. We now have that Holy Spirit within us, and that Spirit is in us not just a, a, as, to, to just simply be there, but it is active, and it is there to, to guide us. It is there to help us to not sin and to follow the ways of the Lord. As you read through um, these passages and you look at um, the return back from Jerusalem, while it's a struggle to build a temple and the walls, there, there's opposition and, and there's, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. They, they get it done. But the bigger struggle is getting the people to honor God through following the law. That has always been the issue. It, is, it has been the people's unwillingness to, to, to follow the law. And frankly, unwillingness and the other side of that is their inability. You know, the people again agree, as they're with Ezra and Nehemiah, the people agree to follow God's law. They, 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 they make a binding agreement. They say, we will do this. And it's not that many years later where they, um, they fall away again. And uh, they fall to their sinful desires, and they, and they don't follow God's law. But there is the new covenant and the forgiveness of sin. You know, God has a plan. You, you would think that after being in exile for 70 years, you know, you would have a chance to learn your lesson a little bit, um, but that is not the case. I think a lot about, like, when you have kids again, and a lot of times kids will make a, a mistake, and you'll put them into timeout. And the purpose of going into timeout is hopefully they'll take a chance to say, hmm, looks like I made a mistake. I might not want to do that again. And then they come back into the family, and, and we, we move on. And I think of this of this 70-year exile as, as really Israel was put into timeout. And uh, um, they were, you know, but they didn't take the opportunity maybe to, to learn what it is that God was trying to show them. They have evil in their hearts, and that still prevails. And that's the same for us today. Um, it prohibited them from entering into the, into the grace of God. Now, I think it's easy, especially for me, to when I read this, to say, gosh, those Israelites, they were some, they were some bad people, right? I mean, fell away from the Lord sinning, all the different things they did. And then I, I step back and I wonder, what would my life look like if somebody was following me around, documenting my behaviors, writing everything down in a book for the whole world to see, like happened here in the Bible? I'm not sure I'd want anybody else to read that. Um, you know, we are in the same boat. We are no different than Israel. We are unable to follow the law. But again, as I mentioned before, God has a plan. And uh, uh, he always has had a plan. It's been a plan since the beginning of time. And if we look at Hebrews, this really, I think, sums up um, a lot of the plan that God has to, to solve our sinful problems. And it's found in Hebrews 9, chapter 9, verse 15. And it says, For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So as we just as we talked about last week, you know, there's been the old covenant, the, the, the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Moses, and then Jesus comes in and says, I'm the new covenant. My body, my blood, I am the new covenant, the last and final sacrifice to cover the sins of the world. His death that paid the ransom for all of our sins. Again, I go back to my own personal self and my reflection as I read through this. This has always been a struggle for me, too. Um, I, you know, I've been always thought about the idea there's no such thing as a free lunch. And um, 
is this Jesus thing, is it really too good to be true? Or what do I need to do to really, to, you know, so that God would be happy with me? You know, I've always had those questions. But lately, it's, it's realizing my, my sinfulness. It's realizing my need for somebody, a, the Lord, to be able to forgive my sins. And it was something for me, I think what it came down to was a humbling. I needed to be able to humble myself and to accept that gift and to be able to fully accept it. And I don't think I ever really did, you know, really fully accept that until recently. And that's, I no longer have that struggle that I used to feel, this, this, this overwhelming burden that's just pushing down because I knew me, I knew, I knew my sinful desires. Jesus was the one, when, when he comes, he says he fulfilled the law and he became an ultimate sacrifice for my sins. Jesus made the way to be in God's presence. But the other point, I think, that comes out of this is that um, this is not just meant for the Israelites. God had a plan to be a blessing to all the nations. So if you look at Genesis 12, 3, which I'm not going to read, but God says he's going to bless all people through Abraham. God has not forgotten his covenant with Abraham when he said he would bless the world. Um, I think, you know, a lot of times as we read through this, you, you get the idea a lot of times that God is focusing on, on Israel and raising them up and, and that, and, and he was, because God had a plan to reach out to the rest of the world, and Israel was to be part of how that would happen. The plan was for Israel to follow God's laws. The plan was for Israel to be a light to the world, to be an example to neighboring countries. They were the ones to show the way to the Lord by following the law and by doing that, and apparently it seems they must have missed the memo. Instead, they are more interested in being like their neighboring countries. They are more interested in their idols, in their idolatry, into following their gods. They're more interested in working on the Sabbath, marrying foreign women, you know, neglecting the very temple that they built. So God had a plan, and Israel was to be part of that plan, and it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked yet. Uh, so God finally then punishes Israel and takes them into exile, and then he destroys that Jerusalem that was built. I often wonder, when you're a neighboring country and you saw what happened to Israel, it makes you wonder, were they kind of looking going, wow, that, that God, you know, that's pretty serious business, or I kind of want to stay away from that. I don't, I don't want to even be involved in that. You know, they were so, so destroyed um, that um, I think the view of other nations would have seen that as being, this is really serious business. If we look at Zechariah uh, chapter 8, um, this is something that uh, comes in verse 23. God does have a plan to bless the nations, and um, his plan is still for Israel to be part of that. So if we read verse 23, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten men from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, Let us go with you, because we have heard that God is with you. So God wants to bless the nations through Israel. He is going to, they will, people will literally grab onto them and say, Let us go with you, because God is with you. This is a, a really a stark difference from the same Israel that God just punished. God has a plan um, for the nations to accomplish this through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice uh, on the cross. If we read Galatians 3.16, uh, we get a, a glimpse into what this looks like. And 
the, the, you know, the plan that God has uh, through Jesus Christ for, for the world. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You know, as I read through that, um, and as you look at the at the Old Testament, as as we're coming through, kind of like kind of like there's you know the Bible's got basically like two two plays in it, and the Old Testament where we're coming through now is coming to the end of of Act One, where there's going to be a and there's going to be a large break, and then we get into Act Two, um, and so Act One basically says I'm going to reconcile the people to me. I'm going to bless the world. And then we get into Act 2, and God's final plan for the nations is accomplished through Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. As Gentiles, and so when you read the I don't know for a lot of you, for me, um, <laughs> it's kind of funny, but as a kid, I always kind of thought I was a Jew because all the, you know, I didn't realize that I was one of the Gentiles, right? And uh, so as, as you read, as, as, a, as, you, as you think about this, um, we should be grateful that God had a plan for the entire world. It wasn't just for Israel. God, you know, God's plan, Israel are his chosen people, but they are to be the vessel for God to bless the world. And so as we read this verse, it was very clear that it's not just intended for Israel, and it's, it's meant for the entire world. Um, God had a plan from the beginning, from way back in Genesis 12.3. God had a plan from the beginning to provide a way for us to be in the presence of God. If you want it, if you really step back and, and just think about what a miracle it is that from the beginning God had a plan for us to, um, to be in his presence and to be able to go into his presence and to, and to have him be the Lord of our lives. Some of you may be asking, you know, man, uh, the last two weeks, all he's been saying is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's all I keep hearing him say over and over. If that is the case, hallelujah, then the message I've been trying to communicate has been coming through loud and clear. As we now enter into the Advent season, leading up to the birth of Jesus at Christmas time, remember that amazing miracle that God has had a plan uh, since the beginning of time to redeem humanity. God has chosen to dwell with us and make us walking temples through the Holy Spirit. God's plan is big. It's, it's huge. It's unimaginable, really, to bring salvation to the nations. He has provided the way through Jesus Christ to forgive our sins and make us presentable to God. My boys at home love to watch a new Star Wars short called The Mandalorian. And the main character always likes to say, this is the way. And that is what he's always saying when going through his missions. It is his way of saying that he is following a set of ethics, that he's following what guides him. And what I would tell you today is that Jesus is that same way. But as you head into the Advent season, you know, um, this is often a time for uh, self-reflection and, and time to look at, you know, yourself and do a little bit of, uh, of review. Maybe now might be that time to address some of that sin that has been so prominent in your life that's been plaguing you for way too long. You found you can't outrun it. It's been staring you in the rearview mirror as you try to avoid it. Has that, wedge driven a, a wedge, has that sin driven a wedge between you and the Lord, between maybe you and family, friends? Um, is now that time to reconcile with God and get rid of that sin in your life. Maybe life has been tough on you in general, and you don't know why. Why am I going through these hardships? Why am I going through some of these tough times? 
maybe today is that day that um, you recognize that God has a plan and uh, that you would take the time to humble yourself and listen to the wise guy in the Holy Spirit. Maybe your trial that you're going through today will be what somebody else needs to, to hear to open their eyes to see the goodness of God in their life. And uh, so I would say to let this not be a season of presents and Christmas lights and Santa Claus, but a real understanding of God becoming Emmanuel or God with us. Praise God for his never-ending faithfulness. Amen.